Dr. King was assassinated on April 4, 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee. And four months later, the godfather of soul, and I know Pam knows who that is, James Brown, released, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. The song addressed racism against black Americans, the need for black empowerment, and became an unofficial anthem of the black power movement. That same year, at the Summer Olympics in Mexico City, Mexico, many were alarmed when, in an act of defiance and solidarity, two African-American sprinters, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, each raised a clenched fist in a black glove with heads bowed signifying black power. The gold and bronze medal winners, respectively, in the 200 meters dash, were protesting the abuse of blacks in these United States. At first glance, to some, this appeared as an affront to the Olympic Games itself. And Smith and Carlos lost potential endorsements for their courageous act. But to others, their act signified a resolve to address the issue of racism in these United States. Blacks were saying, we're going to be brave and bold in exposing the world to the pain of racism. The precursor to Black History Month was created in 1926 when the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History declared the second week in February as Negro Week to recognize the contribution of black Americans in these United States. Frustrated by the lack of awareness of the black community's accomplishments, historian Carter G. Woodson, known as the father of black history and the son of former slaves, along with other activists and civic leaders, founded the association 
for the study of Negro life. In 1926, Woodson wrote in the Journal of Negro History, if a race has no history, it has no worthwhile tradition. It becomes a negligible factor in the thought of the world, and it stands in danger of being exterminated. In 1976, President Gerald Ford recognized Black History Month. His reason, and I quote, to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout our history. Since 1976, other countries have since joined in recognizing Black History Month. While we in these United States and Canada celebrate Black History Month in February, the United Kingdom, Holland, and Ireland celebrate Black History Month in October. Today, I want to be bold and speak on the subject, the curse. And let me be very clear. Sometimes we don't appreciate history and we take things out of context. This message is for all of us, those of my complexion and those of a lighter hue, because all of us benefit when we understand the truth. Father in heaven, help me speak your word today. In Jesus' name, let the saints say, Amen. Why? Just why do we need to talk about black history? I was online looking at some comments, and it just shocked me that many were of the vein, we don't need Black History Month. And some even said, I'm glad it's the shortest month of the year. Why do we need black history? May I remind you and inform some that there was a time when you opened a textbook and all you saw depicted by people or with people of color were people engaged in menial tasks. They were porters, janitors, busboy, Boys, bellhops, waiters. Well, at the same time, when you opened the same textbook, you saw people of the Caucasian persuasion being depicted as doctors and lawyers and professors. And you ask, well, 
Why is that important? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Someone said, over time, a people without a sense of their great history would be unmotivated to aspire to excellence. Let me put it another way. If we don't see people looking like us being depicted as successful and professionals, we would not aspire to be successful or professionals. Identity, the social scientists will tell you, is critical to self-concept. To feel good about ourselves and to gain some assurance that our ancestors did great things, we cling to any vestige of imagination and portrayal in the Bible that talks about people of color. Oh, we are quick to talk about Simon of Cyrene and how this black man took the cross of Jesus. Black folk in church know that. We are quick to talk about the Ethiopian eunuch who said, Seest thou water, what hinderest thou me? And he took the gospel to Ethiopia. We're quick to talk about the Shunammite woman in Songs of Solomon when she says, Look not upon me because I am black but calmly. We are quick to remind some that Moses' wife, Zipporah, was an Ethiopian. And how his sister Miriam had to remind her, don't forget you're black. We're quick to remember in 2 Samuel 18, in verse 21, after Joab had killed Absalom, David's son, and someone was going to take the news, that person was going to take the news Go home and read it. And this is what it says. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go tell the king what you have seen. Joab stopped the one who was taking the bad news and he put it on a black guy. Go and tell David what you've seen. So the Cushite bowed himself to Joab and ran. Unfortunately, History is not simply a matter of recording facts or what happened. Let me say it slowly so I can connect with you. Unfortunately, history is not simply a matter of recording facts or what happened. The problem with history is largely one of who tells it and how it is told. This includes the history of the Bible. Let me say it again. This includes the history of the Bible. We believe that the Bible is God's inspired word. However, the authentic 
hermeneutical approach leans largely on thought inspiration and not word inspiration. Let me get a couple of quotes from my favorite author, Ellen G. White. Manuscript 24, 1886. Here's what she says. It is not the words of the Bible that are inspired, but the men that were inspired. Inspiration acts not on the man's words or his expressions, but upon the man himself, who under the influence of the Holy Ghost is imbued with thoughts. And then she says in a letter, number 53, 1900, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Lord gives his apostles truth to be expressed according to the development of their minds by the Holy Spirit. But the mind is not cramped as if forced into a certain mold. Translation, when you read the Gospels, you would be amazed that the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were present in many situations, but they wrote from what they were seeing through their lands. In other words, Bible writers were not just sponges that said what they thought needed to be said. They said things based on what was happening with inside them. You don't believe me? You remember a little book called Philemon? Have you ever heard of that book? Oh, yes. It talks about a runaway slave. And this book has been used to support the position of white slave owners that run away, hear the word now, black slaves should be captured and returned to their master and to continue their lives of servitude. There is just one problem about Philemon. Nowhere in the Bible is Onesimus identified as an African. Nowhere. I do not know about you, but I've heard sermons on this runaway slave. And it was told as if Onesimus was a black man. In Paul's day, Slavery was common in the Roman Empire. And it seems as if Christians had slaves. Yes, Philemon, a wealthy Christian, owned a slave named Onesimus. They lived in a place called Colossae. I happened some years ago to have been to Colossae. It was very interesting. Here is Colossae. Here is Hierapolis. And in the middle is a place called Laodicea. So when you read in the Bible where it talks about God says, I will spew you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. If you're there in Turkey, 
you would recognize that Colossae had cold water. Hierapolis had hot water and hot springs. I walked in the springs. And Laodicea was in the valley in the middle, and you had hot water coming from Hierapolis and cold water coming from Colossae, and it mixed in Laodicea, and therefore it was lukewarm. So when Jesus was talking, he was being very practical. But here is the concept that I want us to take a hold of this morning. Onesimus left Colossae and ran away from his master to Rome. In AD 60, there was no record of Africans in Colossae. Yet, when we, when we read of Onesimus, we think of a black man because we hear the word, run, the phrase, runaway slave. Let me ask you this question. Could you see a black man in AD 60 making a trip from Colossae in Turkey, crossing the Aegean Sea to Greece? Then when he gets to Greece, he crosses the Adriatic Sea to Rome some distance of 1,300 miles. The color, if he were black, the color of his skin would have stood out like a sore thumb and his, black, uh, his blackness would have been discovered. I almost said the wrong B word. But he would have been discovered. He would have been captured and returned to his master. In order to evade capture, this runaway slave would have had to have blended in with the people in that area. So Onesimus must have looked like the people in that area. We need to get rid you know, from our minds this idea that Onesimus was a black slave. This book, Philemon, was used by many white preachers to justify owning the owning of black slaves in these United States. Well, well, well. Surprise, surprise. This situation with Onesimus is not the only instance in the Bible in which a false narrative is used to tell a story. There are many who hold the view that the black race is cursed. Have you heard that before? And they use the story in our scripture reading to hold on to this false narrative. Today, I hope to dispel this pseudo-interpretation of Scripture and to remove the woe is me disposition from us. This is a two-part series. My next part will be shared on the last Sabbath 
of this month. Before proceeding, I would like to give credit to Pastor Lester Parkinson, one of the former pastors of this church, for sharing with me some pertinent information of his research on this subject. First, let's go to the story. Put on your seatbelts. Noah is drunk and naked. When he awakens from his intoxication, he learns that Ham, his youngest son, you can find it in Genesis chapter 9, saw his nakedness, and instead of trying to cover his father like his two brothers, he laughed at his father's exposed body. And here is what the text says. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, now here's the word, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Not two important facts. What we just read. Can I tell you? It says Noah. Can everybody say Noah? Noah, Noah cursed Canaan. His grandson. Ham's son. Nowhere does it say that God cursed Canaan. It was Noah who cursed his grandson. Now we don't know. I read the commentaries. And I saw some ridiculous things there. The Bible does not say why he cursed his grandson and not his own son. And I saw explanations that his grandson must have been homosexual and he, saw he came into his grandfather. I mean a whole lot of nonsense. The Bible does not tell us why the curse was on the grandson. But here's what we know. Here's what we know. After the, after the flood, the entire earth was repopulated by Noah's three sons. Are you together with me? And their wives. These three families are responsible for all the races we have on this earth today. Can somebody say amen? In other words, all of us, irrespective of your hue, the kinkiness of your hair, the straightness of your hair, you cannot deny that all of us came from these three brothers. And these three brothers all had the same mother and the same father. So we could not bring in the baby daddy argument. We look different because of this and that. Three brothers 
populated the entire earth. Shem, who is mentioned in this story, was the father of 26 different nations. You will find that in Genesis chapter 10, verse 21 through 32. I wouldn't read it for you, but that's a reference. And you'll also find it in 1 Chronicles 1, 17 to 27. Shem's sons, after the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, settled in what is known as Mesopotamia, or Old Palestine. History informs us that Shem's descendants who settled in Palestine were the Israelites. In 1 Chronicles 127, Abraham is named as one of the descendants of Shem. And Abraham was the father of all the Jews. There is no question that Shem was the progenitor of the Jewish people. And also the Arabs, their biological cousins. Yes, they are related. Remember Ishmael and Isaac? Were they brothers? Yes. Isaac, the Jews. Ishmael, the Arabs. Father, Abraham. Japheth, the other son, who put the blanket to cover their daddy, was the father of 14 different nations. And you'll find that in Genesis 10, 1 through 5, and 1 Chronicles 1 through 5, 7. History records that Japheth's children settled after Babel in Euro-Asia, and his descendants include the Greeks, the Romans, the Italians, the Spanish, the Germans, the English, and all those Caucasian tribes that settled in the Asiatic and European areas. In other words, all the European tribes, the Caucasian peoples primarily. Now let's talk about this black brother, Ham. Ham, while his two brothers went far, he stayed close to the river Nile. He did not travel. He's the one who laughed at his father's naked. In Genesis 10 and 1 Chronicles 1, 8 through 16, talks about his descendants. Ham's descendants include the Babylonians, the Canaanites, the Ethiopians, the East Indians, the Egyptians, and finally, all the inhabitants of the continent of Africa. Today, we find Shem's children, the Jews, having great wealth. Have you heard that before? Have you heard that before? Jews are wealthy people. The Arabs have all the oil and petroleum products in the Middle East. Countries like Bahrain, Kuwait, Iraq, Yemen, and Saudi Arabia. Yes, they are blessed with great wealth and other life-sustaining resources. Japheth's children, the Europeans, are known as the leaders in the world of technology and scientific inventions. And we count them as blessed today.
We find them in Scandinavia, Belgium, Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Greenland, Norway, Holland. We find them there. And what about Ham's children? Ham's children have suffered long periods of colonialism on the mainland of Africa, grinding slavery in North America and the Isles of the Caribbean. I sometimes chuckle when I hear some well-meaning people making distinctions between African-Americans and people from the Caribbean. Truth is, have, have you ever heard my name? It's Liverpool. Do you know how I got my name? Well, I'm so glad to tell you. England has three ports, main ports. Bristol, London, and Liverpool. And when my forefathers came from West Africa on that ship and they landed at Liverpool, they didn't want to know what name he had. They named him after the port and ship his, black, uh, his blackness to Guyana. The truth is, all of us, whether you're African American or Caribbean or West Indian, all of us came from Africa via the slave trade, packed like sardines in the bottom of ships and deposited on the shores of the Americas, the Caribbean, and South America. The continent of Africa has 54 countries. Can somebody say amen? Please, my fellow Americans, don't speak of Africa as if it's a country. It's a continent with 54 countries. And it would be educational to know that the continent is not just one large swath of poverty. Yes, 19 of the 20 poorest countries in the world can be found on the continent. But that's not the whole story. Yes, there is oil-rich Nigeria, diamond-rich South Africa, cobalt-rich Democratic Republic of Congo, but there is also massive corruption, greed, and oppression. Today, many countries in Africa are classified as developing countries. And this is where the false narrative is told. To explain the plight of people of color and poverty, some resort to the narrative that we were cursed by God. They posit that wherever you go, people of color are at the bottom, are at the bottom when wealth is used as a measure of success. 
Bear with me for a few minutes. This is a two-part message. I'll, I'll be soon finished and come back the next time. But bear with me. i got to say this. They claim that we are in large measure very poor and our struggle, colonization, and enslavement could only be explained by this narrative that we as a race were cursed by God. Now, I read to you, God never cursed anybody. I'll tell you what God cursed in a bit. They point to the fact that out of 2,000, get this data, recent, 2023 we're talking about. They point to the fact that out of 2,755 billionaires in the world, only 14 are black. That's fewer, fewer than 1% of the population. And of those 14, only two are women and eight are in the United States of America. In other words, of the 14 billionaires in the world, only eight, 14 black billionaires, only eight are from America. The rest are not from this country. So if we think that they don't have black millionaires outside of America, you have another thought coming. Using wealth as a measure to describe blacks as being poor, we need to ask ourselves, the counterpoint that has been made that the Jews are the wealthiest people in the world and because they are what? B-L-E-S-S-E-D. They are what? Blessed. Have you ever heard that? Jews as a people are blessed by God. Now before I continue, I need to pause to ask a very serious individual question. Are you comfortable? Speaking to you as a person. Are you comfortable with the position that the God you worship decreed that your ascribed status, that is your race, something in which you did not have a choice, determined that your people would be at the bottom of society's ladder. Are you comfortable with a God like that? that your ascribed, the sociologist says that a status that is ascribed means you had no control over it. You did not ask to be black. Are you comfortable with the explanation that you serve a God who would use your ascribed status to determine that you will be the bottom of the ladder? No, that's not the God I worship. Let me talk a little bit about the Jews. And I'm going to say a few things I'm going to sit down for today. But I want you to take in mind three things about the Jews. We know they are wealthy. Put on your seatbelt. The Jews do not believe in lending money to each other with interest. Let me say that again. 
The Jews do not believe in lending money to each other with interest. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. We need to emulate that. We're talking about their wealth. I'm going down a street called Nostrum. And my mother's with me in Brooklyn. And I had never seen these people with black suits and black fedoras and some with yarmulkes. And I asked my mom, who are those people? And she said, they're Hasidic Jews. They're very orthodox. And she pointed out something to me as a young lad. We're going down the street, Nostrum. It's, it's like uh, old Dexter with a lot of shops and stores. And she said, you see that Jewish man? He is going to pass 10 stores that have what he wants. And he's going to that 11 store 10 blocks away to spend his money because it's a Jewish store. I was young, but it made an impression on me. And you ask why we are the poorest? We can learn from the Jews. We don't spend money with ourselves. We lend money with interest to ourselves. But there is something else. Something else. Have you ever heard of the Holocaust? Heard of the Holocaust? Well, let me tell you something you may not know. Have you ever heard of a country called Germany? Okay, let me read this so that I'm not saying something just off the top of my head. Germany started making reparations, payments, to Holocaust survivors back in the 1950s and continues making payments today. Some 400,000 Jews who survived the Nazis were still alive in 2019. That year, Brandon, that year, Germany paid 564 million claims to the Jews. We are still waiting our 40 acres and a mule. Have you ever heard of a car company called Volkswagen? They used slave labor. The Jews worked hard for nothing in the factories and built those cars. In 1991, Volkswagen provided 12 million German francs to support former forced laborers from various countries. A year later, the Volkswagen board committed to focusing efforts of financial support of, his, of Israeli institutions in aiding elderly survivors of the Holocaust. In 1998, the company reaffirmed its commitment to reparations. We are still waiting for our 40 acres and a mule. 
It's easy to come up with a, a quick answer. Black people are poor and at the bottom because they're cursed. It's easy. Take a minute and look what happened to Haiti and see why is it that as a people we continue to be strangled. France, the United States, and large swaths of Europe played a role in ensuring that Haiti would continue to be economically poor, one of the poorest countries in the world. It's not because they are lazy. Let me say that again. It's not because they are bad. We must appreciate what wealth does to cut off and to keep people where they think they belong. Let me conclude by giving this little information. We'll come back to this text two weeks from now. But let me make this point. God, in Genesis, pronounces a curse. This isn't Noah now. Adam and Eve had messed up. And God said, curse be the ground. You remember that? Yes. Fast forward. Fast forward. Moses sent some people over, including Joshua and Caleb, to spy out the land in Jericho. Joshua and Caleb came back. And they said, wow, this land is awesome. And Ellen White says that a cluster of grapes was so large it took two men to carry it. Do you know where was Canaan? Where was Canaan? Ham's son, the land was named because that's where he settled. So imagine that someone who holds on to the view that God cursed the ground, and this is the very ground to which Israel is trying to get over into. Don't come with the excuse that you're cursed by God. That ground that was cursed was producing a lot of bountiful harvest. God cursed the ground, but it produced. So we need to escape this disposition that somehow God cursed us. That's why we can't produce. God never cursed us. He cursed the ground. And yet look what the ground did. And so you understand who our ancestors are. You remember a country called Egypt? The Egyptians are descendants of Ham. 
They didn't move far from the Nile. Do you remember some people that were slaves in Egypt? <laughs> they were the descendants of Shem. Isn't that amazing? God said, or Noah said, Canaan, you are going to be a servant of servants to your uncle's children. And here we find the people who are supposed to be blessed were kept in captivity for over 400 years. Don't tell me that I can't go forward because of some curse. We need to appreciate what the economic world does. Find a, a book and read it. It's called How Europe Underdeveloped Africa by Dr. Walter Rodney. It lays out in clear tones why you have so much poverty in Africa. It has nothing to do with Africans being cursed by God. God never cursed anybody. Noah cursed his grandson. And yet we find that Shem, who was supposed to be master, his descendants were slaves in Egypt. Do you know who gave us the first alphabet? The Phoenicians. Descendants of Ham. In other words, we come from greatness. Nimrod built the first city. He was Ham's son, grandson. And then you have a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Do you know, remember that story with Babylon? And the head of gold? Babylon ruled the world. In other words, the first world empire was by a descendant of Ham. So this idea that we came from nothing is a myth. And why we need to know it? is so that we can be motivated to aspire. My belief system informs my sense of self-worth. And if I believe that I'm cursed, I'm going to behave as if I'm cursed. God today wants us to appreciate he never cursed any race. Not the black man, not the white man, not the Asian man. God never cursed any race. So we need to stop peddling this idea that one particular race is cursed. Maybe if we adopt some of the, the behaviors of the Jews, we'll be fine. Maybe if we start to learn how to spend our money here in Detroit, in a city that is predominantly black, you had to have two black stations closed, gas stations, for lack of business. Nobody buying their gasoline. That's amazing, in a black city. Maybe we are poor because we do not understand how to work together. We're too busy talking about our differences. In Africa, the continent, 
tribalism. This tribe versus that tribe. In America, this group versus that group. And in families, the light skin versus the dark skin. We need a change. I don't know about you, my friends, but I do not serve a God who cursed me because of an ascribed status. Can somebody say amen? I do not serve a God who cursed me because of my ascribed status. I serve a God who has blessed me that in spite of what others may do, I can rise above. It's hard to go through life as it is, but to go through life knowing that someone is ready to pull you down, not because of what you've done, but just because of how you look. Let me conclude by saying this. We need to be careful that we don't go on to tell other people who don't look like us that they're responsible for who we are. We're talking history. We need to be informed by history, but not to use history to go pointing the finger to anybody. That white man in that store owes me nothing. He owes me nothing. I must not behave as if somehow he robbed me. He worked hard to get where he is. And some of us make the mistake by tying old wealth to new wealth as if somehow that individual did not go to school and do the things what he needed to do to get to where he needs to be. We need to learn that we can go to school, do what we need to do to get to where we need to be. But we do it with the notion and the knowledge that God has not cursed us. Noah cursed his grandson. And look what Canaan became. The land to which Shem's people ran to because it produced so much. May God help us to have a healthy sense self-concept and not always allow ourselves to be defeated by the idea that somehow the God of heaven has decreed that we remain at the bottom.